on this episode of the playbook this is one of the top 10 playbooks of all time kyle brand is also the host of 10 questions with kyle brand and the co-host of good morning football on the nfl network and we're going to talk about synchronicity frequency and how kyle brand and i have spent lifetimes together join me for all this and more on the playbook this is the playbook where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is The Playbook. I am so excited. I have someone that I admire from afar, and now we finally get to meet talking about his alma mater, Princeton, Kyle Brandt, an incredible host of Good Morning Football on NFL Network and the host of The Ringer's 10 Questions with Kyle Brandt. Welcome to The Playbook, Kyle. I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm a little nervous. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants. Like, how am I going to to live up to to Tony Hawk and Gary V. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. What am I doing here, Dad? This is great. I I think that it's so awesome that those are the two people uh, that you would choose. I I see, because we've been over 700, you know, we've had a a great plethora of talent, but I was, you know, thinking, okay, who's he going to say when he said, on the footsteps of, and I was thinking, you know, Jim Brown, Ray Lewis, or maybe he was going to go nope. the Bach Chopra or Sadhguru route, but it was the Gary V and the Tony Hawk route. Now I know a lot about the X's and O's uh, where you're inspired. In <laughs> did I just show my hand? Those are the two. That's the, did I pass or fail? I wonder. Oh, Tony, Hawk I, Tony Hawk and I grew up together in San Diego. We're the exact same age. The only difference is, is he's still riding a skateboard at 53 and uh, I can barely, uh, you know, carry one to my son. So uh, <laughs> that's start. incredible. So many kids want to be you, right? And yeah, I get it. And I felt, especially when I was, I, I don't know how my life transitioned, but when I was CEO of Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, yeah. it was a very uh, uh, duality because everybody wanted to be Jerry Maguire, but nobody really knew what it was like to be a sports agent. I feel the same thing about being a host now and an entrepreneur is like everybody wants to be one, but they yeah. haven't been more interested than interesting about how to get there. You know, you're an Ivy leaguer. You have yeah. paid, paid your dues. You're not an overnight success. Uh, but the one thing in your past that was really interesting to me, everything seemed to jibe to get you to where you were, except for, you know, being on um, what, what you tried out for the real world. The real world. Yeah. And why, why was that uh, something that you thought would get you to where you wanted to be? Or was it just for fun? Um, So the way it goes, and there's a, I know exactly what you're asking. And I I think I'm going to give you what you're looking for. This is, this is the spring of 2001. I have about two months left in my senior year in college. And if you go to 2001 at Princeton, um, everybody is, they're trying to figure out how we can get into investment banking because it's right up the road in New York City and people are making big money, working long hours. And I remember it being, you know, just sitting around a beer keg at 22 years old and hearing that so-and-so, my fraternity brother, had not only landed a job with Lehman Brothers or one of these, that uh, he had a signing bonus of like six figures. And we were 20, I'm like, dude, signing bonus? Who who is he, Alex Rodriguez? They get signing (laughs) bonuses for jobs? And I remember just being really pressured because- I wasn't going to do that. I was an English major. You know, I wrote my, th- my senior thesis on the process of adaptations from books to movies. Like I was a creative type. So I'm like, 
the hell am I going to do? Um, I had it in my blood that I, when I got to college, when I was a freshman, that I wanted to be an actor, really serious. Like I played football, but I would be the guy running up campus doing theater too. And I would do plays and I would do games. And so I was going to move to LA and just give it a try. Spring of senior year, I'm sitting around, you know, the, you know not a lot to do, mailing it in a little bit academically because I'm halfway out the door. And as luck would have it, or as misfortune, MTV came and did an open call about one block from where I live, my little apartment. They just said, Real World's the biggest show on MTV. You guys all love it. You watch it 24-7. Who wants to be on it? So a few friends and I split a few beers, walked down, mostly just for laughs. And apparently they loved me. And a few months later, uh, I was picked from 50,000 applicants to be on that show in my hometown of Chicago. I'm telling you, if this had been two blocks away, I wouldn't have gone to it. If they had instead had gone to Rutgers instead of Princeton, I never would have gone to it. It was in my lap. And I'm like, I'll go. And then it ended up like the way it did. It was wild. Would you say there's a lot of things in your life? I think there's a reconciliation between persistence uh, and this nuance of awareness, meaning that when, you know, obviously you don't just get into Princeton without hard work. You, you don't just get the jobs that you've acquired without working hard, but yet there are these slight subtle nuances of, well, it would have been two blocks away. I wouldn't have been going to that, but yet obviously you have such great capability and charisma that yeah. you stood out in 50. That's no accident, right? I tell people, you know, it may be an accident that you went, but yeah. it's not an accident that you won. Um, and, you know, looking at your career, you know, working with Jim Rome and some of the other things that you've gotten to do, have you seen that uh, nuance? I call it the mathematical equation of luck. What you pay attention to and give intention to equals these coincidences that you want. Mm -hmm. Have you seen other areas in your life where you've been prepared for it, but it was a matter of coincidence or luck or circumstance or awareness that set you in the lap of success? Sure. Absolutely. And you mentioned the Jim Rome thing for anybody listening who has no idea who Jim Rome is. I'm sorry, but he is <laughs> a massively, massively successful nationally syndicated radio host and talk show host and has had his own show for over 30 years. I mean, like a titan in the industry. Wait, wait, man. In the Hall of Fame. You, you just made me feel so old that you had to like say that because I'm so I'm so like, who doesn't know Jim Rome? That's like I know. Rock. I know. That's like Gary V. Jim, Jim Rome's a Gary V of sports radio. That's a good way of putting it. Jim R is the Gary V of sports radio. And the, the way that I became in his life was really fortuitous. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story because I think there's lessons to be learned from it. I was a, an out of work actor who was running out of money, live, living in the Valley. And I was about to move home to Chicago where I not joking, not joking. I would have lived in my mom's basement, like the cliche come true. Um, the only reason I fell on Jim Rome's radar was in my uh, unemployment and my depression that I was starting to develop as I ran out of money, I was keeping a blog, which was a very 2007 thing to do. And I would just be, write a blog about my experiences living in LA, what I would get into dating and all that stuff. And I wrote a blog one day about how I was at the gym and I was running on the treadmill, just doing what I'm doing. And I happened, cause this is the thing that happens in LA. I happened to look to my right at the treadmill next to me as I'm jogging. And I'm not making this up because you couldn't, Jogging on the treadmill next to me was Carl Lewis. Carl Lewis, the, were me the greatest Olympic athlete and before Michael Phelps, the world-class sprinter. And not only was I running next to Carl Lewis, I happened to look that I was on a 6.5 setting and he was on 6.0. So I was running faster than Carl Lewis on the treadmill and I felt like I should be on the medal stand. I blogged about that. The next day, I get an email on my BlackBerry curve. I, you know, I wake up at 11 a.m. in my robe, I rub my eyes out. 
And there's an email from Jim Rome, who I'd never met, never had any connection to. And he said, uh, good morning. I've been reading your blog post. I think it's some really interesting stuff. I'd like to talk to you about potentially joining our team here. And it had only happened because he had talked to a former college teammate of mine at Princeton who said, I'm not interested in moving to the West Coast, but there's a guy there named Kyle. His background is a little weird, but here, check out his blog. Jim Rome reads my blog. He emails me, uh, go in for an interview. I ended up working and writing and producing for him for nine years. And that was really, really fortuitous. Uh, but that was before even the hard work kicked in, like you talked about. You know, it's so funny when I meet people, there's certain people that are frequencies just from the first time you say hello, you're just like, oh my gosh, Kyle's an old friend of mine. We're, we're the same <laughs> frequency. And I felt that way the minute you came on here. Oh, thanks, man. And yet you are on the same frequency, meaning, you know, Lee Steinberg. I ran Lee Steinberg at the time. Yeah, I know. And Carl Lewis was our client at the time. We and before. Uh, and even more uh, interesting is Jim Rome, when he started out in radio, yeah. Before I was at Lee's, uh, it was told to me by Lee that Lee helped build Jim's brand because he represented Aikman and Moon and Young yeah. and Thurman Thomas and Bruce Smith and Sabathia Ramirez, you know, Jeff Morad. And nobody really knew who Jim Rome was at the time. And they would feed all the biggest names to Jim, yeah. uh, which, you know, led to just an extraordinary career. Like you said, he's a legend, a Hall of Famer. That's crazy. One of my favorites as well. And now I know why I enjoyed the show for all those years uh, as you being the producer of the show. Now, being in sports the way that we're in sports, uh, yeah. we played college sports. You played at a real college. I played at Occidental. And, uh, <laughs> but we both played just as much time, believe me. And I cared just as much as probably of anybody, of course. But sports has a different uh, nuance when it is part of your business. I call it a backdrop. Can you talk about what sports can do like nothing, like nothing else uh, comparatively? I think except for maybe ch children, if you're in the business of helping children is the same as sports. But what can you know, sports do that other things can't? It's a great question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, especially football. And, you know, there's the every, every sport's going to have discipline and hard work and stuff like that. But I mean, I just remember at times and I'm sure you did, too, Dave, where you're sitting in a huddle and you're sitting there with 10 other guys and there's people watching and there's coaches and there's real adults whose lives depend on it and careers depend on it. And, you know, I was a running back. So, like, it's fourth and one and we're playing Yale and the quarterback comes in the huddle and we're saying we're going to run um, strong right 18 odds. And I was like, oh, my God, they're giving me the ball. This is it. If I don't do this well, we're going to lose. I'm going to be embarrassed. The head coach is going to be fired. The coordinators are going to be fired. They're all going to be uh, have to relocate, take their children out of school, look, apply for jobs like I'm going to be devastated. That's huge, man. I mean, that's that's big pressure on a kid who was 19 years old at the time. And you will get that yard and you really better do it. So. I think there's the fact that you're given this job and it's, it's not just the running back. Like if the right tackle blows the block, it's going to show up in film and he blew it. If the quarterback autos out of it into a stupid pass, he blew it. There's just some stakes. And I don't care if you're in the Olympics or the Super Bowl, or if you're just playing good old fashioned Friday night lights, high school football, there's stakes psychologically, physically that it's very difficult to duplicate. And I know that there's ex football players listening and you would understand this too, Dave, that the most heartbreaking thing about football is that it, when it is over, it is over. You, you can play tennis your whole life, golf, baseball, basketball. I, you know, we've, I've sat around kids, 18-year-old, 22-year-old, 
big 250 pound linebackers who could bench press 400 sobbing as they take off their shoulder pads for the last time in the locker room, because you will never put them back on again. It does not have any life after your career. So that's how special it is. And that's some of the toughness it does to you, but um, there's a million gifts and I know you have them yourself. It's, it, that's an amazing point. You know, Warren moon, the hall of fame quarterback was yeah. my business partner. And, you know, he had that experience at 44 years old, uh, which most people don't get the opportunity to play six years in Canada, 17 years in the NFL. And at 44 year old, I remember my 44th birthday, I could barely get out of bed. And I was thinking, how the heck did Warren do this? You know, like, but he was a sobbing baby uh, when he took him off for the last time. And he looked at me and he said, two deaths. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I don't care if you play Pop Warner High School, college, CFL, AFL, or the NFL. Yeah. But this is the day you live your first death. Mm-hmm. And and I, I still, I get choked up thinking about it because too. that's how much I miss. I Even if I wasn't playing, I miss putting on the pads, sitting in the locker room, the feeling of running out of the tunnel, all the things you get to do uh, even beyond playing, even the practices, which made it great. Now, you also mentioned something funny to me because I come from a hyper-academic family, all Ivy sure. Leaguers except for, for me, I went to Oxy. But, uh, you know, people get mistaken about money. You're talking about, you know, six-figure bonuses. And I joke around about, especially Wall Street guys and lawyers. I, I went to law school, graduated with Tulane, and I had friends who were like, I'm making $150,000 as an oil and gas litigator, Dave. Why will you go on the internet? I'm like, you don't make 150 grand, bro. You work three jobs for $50,000 each, right? That, and, and it literally, maybe four sometimes. Um, now, if you are not in sports, and I see sports as a backdrop as a huge trillion dollar industry now, what would you be doing, do you think, if you weren't in the sports realm? It's tough for me, but I'll tell you why. And this is this is um, asymmetrical. Sports and sports media and all the stuff I do now is my plan B. This, this is my fallback plan. Plan A was I was going to be one of the Avengers. I was going to be you know, Chris Hemsworth or Chris Evans, those are all my delusions of grandeur. So I, I went to the Hollywood, I ended up going and I did the acting thing and I'm doing soap operas. And I did a, a, a deodorant commercial with Randy Johnson, like back in 2003. And I was well on my way. And then it fell apart. I left the soap thinking I was going to be Matt Damon. Like we all do. It didn't happen. Ran out of money, like I said. And then I'm like, well, I guess I better get into sports. So normally most people are saying, man, that would be my dream job. And, and I, I've gotten to the point where it's so humbling that I hear that, especially about Good Morning Football. That's my dream job. Like, that's incredible. That is so, I mean, I, I'm so honored that you would say that to me. But if we're being honest, this was the backup plan. My, my dream job, I'm supposed to be swinging a hammer and have a cape on. Um, without sports, I would have to go to plan C, which I, I don't know what it would be, crime, maybe. But I'm already, I already <laughs> fell back once, Gary. I already fell back once. That is so good. That is so good. Well, I, uh, I say the same thing. I did uh, executive produce movies, TVs, things like that. And the first one, Lee asked me to be an executive producer of the movie The 500 with Angelo Pizzo and David Hanspa, who did Rudy and Hoosiers. Sure. And, and I'm looking, I'm going, hey, uh, Lee, I didn't go to film school. And he said, what do you mean? I said, I, I don't know how to be an executive producer. He said, do you know what an executive producer does? I said, yeah, you nope. sit in that chair and you tell people <laughs> right, what to do. He said, no, you moron. He said, executive producer raises money. I go, oh, I can do that. Okay. Oh. And I still think most people don't know. Most executive producers, you know, really are money people. They yeah. just raise money. They think there's some artistically genius person like yourself. All right. Last question real quick. Yeah. Um, you know, importance of competition. 
Okay. You have this great new show with the 10 questions. Thanks. I have some competition shows, two minute drill, elevator pitch. Now we have office hours coming up. How important is competition and who are you competing with? Not just within the context of your show, but who should people be competing with? Well, there's two layers of that because I'm competitive with my show as an entity, but also within my show, it is entirely based on competition for the content. And li listen, my deal was if I'm really going to pick up a paddle and paddle into these podcast waters, that, that is a turgid river. All right. You, you better stick out. What's what's my catch? Why am I different? I cannot just sit down and start talking about pop culture and headlines and have a few guests on that. Then you're just you're a lemming. You're you're one of the masses. I said I need something different, and I, my my show is gamified. As we we keep score, there's a trivia aspect and there's a competition aspect. Meaning every player gets ten questions. They get them right. They get them wrong. They leave with a score. We've had people leave with a three. Steve Smith Sr. is probably going to go to the Hall of Fame someday. He's the worst score we've ever had. He got a three out of 10. He's bad. <laughs> Alex Smith just retired. He got a nine out of 10. He's the best score we've ever had. So here's the best part, Dave, and you would love this. Um, you get someone who's a massive public figure, a Matthew McConaughey or Aaron Rodgers. They've both been on the show. They've done a lot of media and a lot of interviews. So they sit down and here we go. He's going to ask me about this and ask me about that. The second you say to them, just so you know, we're keeping score and you're competing against the prior contestants and whatever score you get here, I'm going to repeat it show after show to the next contestants. We're going to try to beat you. You can see their body language. They sit up straighter. They kind of loosen their neck out a little bit. They crack their knuckles and they say, oh, crap, I actually have to try on this one. So instilling competition into the content, they're out for blood. You had somebody like... Um, you know, an older actor, you think it's just pretty dignified and laid back. Tim Robbins from Shawshank comes on this. He wanted to punch me through the screen because he thought the questions were too hard. He was competing, trying to crack skulls. That's been my little niche. And then I take that and try to put it against all the other podcasts who don't do that. That's my that's my thing. Dave, you talk to me about, you know, what what a sports do, what a competition do, your life story. You have this foothold competition and the scoreboard is mine. That is so awesome. Yeah, my superpower is I cry. I always tell my wife it doesn't work. It doesn't work. <laughs> That's good though. Exactly. I'm the I'm the vulnerable podcast guy. Everybody loves me. Uh, anyway, that's my superpower. I wish in this circumstance that my podcast was much longer. You're an incredible interviewer and interviewee. We have to do more together, my friend. I can't wait to see you in person. I know we're both honorary Browns fans as well as I read. If that <laughs> note's correct. Uh, but I certainly appreciate you coming on the co-host of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network and the host of the incredible Ringers 10 Questions for Kyle Brandt, which you got to have. I want to get you Myron Roll, who I think oh, yeah. is the smartest football player of all Road time. Road Scholar. Yeah, Road Scholar. Now he's a brain surgeon now. Yeah. Uh, but I'd, lo I'd love to see him get a three or a four. So we'll just load <laughs> the questions on him. I'll do that. And uh, listen, before I go, Dan, I got I got to finish the connective tissue between us. And I, and yeah. I really mean this because there's a really big piece that I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up. Um, when I was a senior in high school, I was just a walking, talking stereotype of a jock. I had the letter jacket. I drove a Jeep. I listened to Pearl Jam. I was a lot like a, a 90s version of Emilio Estevez in The Breakfast Club. And I said, I need something different. I know this is not my calling. In 1996 was the beginning of my senior year. My dad took me to the movies. We went and saw a movie directed by Cameron Crowe starring Tom Cruise called Jerry Maguire. I left the theater, said, that's what I want to do with my life. That was sports. That was entertainment. 
dad, I want to be an actor. My dad, not that thrilled about it, but nonetheless, I zoomed through, figured it out. That's why I pursued acting because of that night in the fall of the, uh, 1996, when I saw that movie, that inspired me. And now years later, having been through all I have, we're sitting here talking about all the Jerry Maguire and you and Leah, it's really cool. Yo, you're really cool. And I told you we're on the same frequency. There are no accidents. What you pay attention to, what you give intention to, create the coincidences of our lives. It's just a matter of time. Now you and I are going to see each other all the time. You'll see. The incredible Kyle Brandt. Check him out, especially the 10 questions with Kyle Brandt. I can't wait to listen to more of those as well with all of my friends and check out their scores so I can make fun of them.